All right, so let's go to the Word, and before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you so much for your holy Word. It is precious to us, and I pray right now that you work a work in us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts to receive what you would have for us today. Lord, humble us under the power and the preciousness of your Word, that we may see it as light and life to our souls. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So, all right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 17 and read through verse 20. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against Him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Amen. So today we are going to jump back into our series on disruptive grace. If you recall, we have spent a few weeks on that, and uh, you know we have been given grace by God that is varied grace, what Peter calls it, the varied grace of God. Um, the idea is that the Christian life is like nothing else that you will see in the world. The Christian life is very different. There is a change that takes place when we have been redeemed, when we have been bought, when we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. The language of the Bible couldn't be more clear about it as it talks about passing from death into new life. You know, we are, we are dead in our sins, the Scripture says, and we are made alive in Jesus Christ. There couldn't be a bigger contrast about the life before Christ and the life that is in Christ. We bear much fruit as Christians or we bear no fruit at all as people who are severed from the vine. There's no middle ground. So the Christian life is radically different. And I'm doing this series because I feel like in our culture we have a pandemic. And it's it's not a pandemic of of a physical virus, not COVID-19, though that's a real thing, but it's a pandemic of the soul. It's a sickness of the soul that's born out of a cultural Christianity. So there are many so-called Christians who believe that they are saved. And they, they believe that they're going to heaven because they've checked all the right boxes. They raised their hand at a church meeting one day. They got baptized. They go to church more than once a year. They they own a Bible. They believe in God. They believe in Jesus Christ. They own this Bible. They say they believe this Bible, but they've never actually read it. They believe in Jesus Christ, but they don't act like Him. They don't love like Him. They don't give like Him. They don't serve like Him. And they certainly don't cherish Him and treasure Him above everything else. Like Paul said, I count everything as loss, but for the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. That is the mark of a Christian. A Christian is markedly different than the rest of the world around him. And the life of a Christian is markedly different than the life before Christ. Radically different. In this passage that we just read, Paul, he could not have made a more clear distinction. 
How much more clear can you be in the argument for disruptive grace, grace that uproots and changes everything in your life than what he said in verse 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new, or the new has come A new creation. Old is gone. And it's not just gone, it's passed away. Old is dead. Not just gone, but dead. And and new hasn't just come, but we've got a a brand new creation. Something out of nothing. God said it, and it was. In the beginning, God said, and it was. The same thing with our renewed life. God spoke it, and it was. Something out of nothing. Life out of death. A new creation. Brand new, something completely different. The Christian is completely different from his old self. And this is the work of God alone. This is not the work of man, lest anyone should boast. We can't boast in it. All we can do is thank God for it. Thank God for it. Thank you for your amazing saving grace that saved a wretch like me, such a dead dog as I, to make me alive and new in him. Today I want to I walk you through three fundamental aspects of this new creation, this life of a Christian. These are hallmarks of Christianity. They, they are some of the bedrock principles, the evidential fruit of a spirit that has been made alive in Jesus Christ. We must lay hold of these fundamental principles or we risk deceiving even ourselves. We risk falling victim to the cultural Christianity pandemic and claiming Christ but not living like Him. Professing our faith and our love with our lips but being very far from Him in our hearts. And that church is the place that we don't want to be. We don't want to be there because on that day, uh, the day of judgment, many will say, Jesus says, Lord, Lord. And he will look at them and say, depart from me because I never knew you. So in this series on disruptive grace, it has been my desire that we all carefully examine our own lives in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can see what areas that we have yet to surrender, what doors in our hearts that we have yet to open, to unlock to Jesus. And under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that we will all say, Lord, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all, every last bit. So follow me now as we go through the text. Three fundamental principles of the new creation, the life that is in Christ. Verse 18, Paul says, all of this is from God. What is all of this? That's the new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. All of that is from God. We can't boast about it. God did it. It's not something that you did. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, and this is where I want to focus, the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I probably want to spend most of my time here in this this phrase right here this morning because I need to do a little bit of defining to define a couple of things for you. So Christ gave us a new ministry, and the new creation comes a a new ministry. Well, we need to know what ministry is. So let let me try to define it for you. Just a word of caution before we step through this, though. Um, When you try to go defining things in Scripture, it's not always a good idea to go straight to Webster's. 
The reason being is that Webster's Dictionary and other modern dictionaries, they are defining English words in a modern English culture. And you, you need a good Bible dictionary to try to define words in the Bible. A Bible dictionary that takes into account the historical uh, context, the, 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 um, the nuances in the original languages. We just don't see that in the modern English dictionaries. They're not concerned about what, what the he Greek and the Hebrew culture was when defining these words. There's not always a direct equivalent from Greek to English or Hebrew to English. And oftentimes the English words that we see that are translated in the scripture, they were chosen because they were the closest in meaning to what the Hebrew says. Not because there's an exact equivalent. There's a lot of nuance that's sometimes very difficult to translate into English. We don't have as many words in our language as Greek and Hebrew does. I think there's like seven words in Hebrew that means love. We have one. So I say I love ice cream and I love my wife, that's two different kinds of love, right? Well, in Hebrew, they have a different word for that. There's a different word to describe the love that you have for ice cream and the love that you have for your spouse. Well, you know, so we translate that to love and we've got to look at the historical context, the context, the sense of the word to find out what it's actually meaning, the nuance. So that's just a word of caution for you. Let me give you an example here with ministry. If you look up the modern definition of ministry in like a Webster's Dictionary, you're going to find that has two primary definitions. The first one is that it is the work of a minister of religion. So in other words, it's the job of pastors or, or leaders in the church. It'd be like saying that, that welding is what a welder does or plumbing is what a plumber does. Well, ministry is what a minister does. So it's a, it's a description of a, of a job. You're going to find another definition that talks about a governmental office, an office of government or an agency that's headed up by a minister of state. In the biblical context, though, I don't find those definitions very helpful. If you put them together, maybe we can get something from that, uh, an office and, uh, and a work maybe, but, but just in the biblical context, it's not very helpful. So we, we go back to the Scripture to try to define what the word is in Scripture. We look at other places that it's used in Scripture to see what does this word ministry mean. The term ministry is used in Scripture to describe servants. Specifically the act of serving, like you would say about someone who is waiting on tables, a waiter. It's used to describe the priests who were doing their jobs in the temple and the acts of service they performed towards God and toward others. So when they would receive the sacrifices and when they would burn the incense, when they would go to the houses to cleanse the houses, those were acts of service. Those were ministry. The word ministry by itself then, it's used to, to talk about the low, low servants, slaves, people who wait tables, people who wait on hand and foot in the house. It's used to, to refer to the high priests. Who, who do acts of service toward God and toward man. It, it's, it's not some high and lofty thing like we often think about it. When we hear the word ministry, we often think pulpit. But that's not what it refers to. It's not about specifically the pulpit. Yeah, this is ministry, but there's so much more to it. There's so much more to it. The word by itself isn't some high and lofty thing. It's the act of serving. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew that he didn't come to be served but he came to serve. Same Greek word is used there that is also used here to translate into ministry. In other words, he's saying, I didn't come to be ministered to, I came to minister. Amen. 
I came to do. Ministering is doing. Ministering is an act of service. You can't call it ministry if you're not doing something with it. I mean an act, an action. You're not acting it out. For example, if my daughter were to come to me and she had a cut on her arm, I would attempt to minister to her wound by cleaning the wound, by putting some medicine on it, by putting a bandage on it. Now, I could look at her arm and think, wow, it would be nice if someone did those things. I could say to her, it sure would be nice if someone would clean that wound and put some medicine on it and and put a bandage on it, but what good have I done? I must work toward the healing. I haven't done any ministry just by thinking about it. I haven't done any ministry because ministry is an act. I haven't done any ministry just by talking about it. I've got to put some some action to it. Faith without works is dead. I've got to put something in it. Here's another example. If somebody is hungry and I, and I want to feed the hungry, I want to minister to their hunger. But, but look at what, what James said. We just, we just talked about it. James in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 16. He says, uh, one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled. And you haven't given them the things that are needed for the body. What good is that? What good have you done if you say, go, be warm and filled? I wish you had all that you could eat. I wish you were warm. What good have you done? You haven't given them anything. This is part of James' discussion about faith without works being being dead. It's just just wishful thinking. Well, ministry isn't ministry unless we do something. What good is it for anyone if I I say, I I sure wish you had something to eat for dinner? Someone comes up, and we get them all the time. They come up to the church or to the, the parsonage, and they'll tell us their story. They don't have any food. They haven't had anything to eat in a few days, no place to stay. What good does it do for me to say, well, I, I sure wish you had something to eat? I'll pray, yeah, I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for you. And I send them on their way, but I've not ministered to the need. I have to do something to meet the need. If I haven't done anything, I have not ministered to anyone. I haven't ministered to anything. So then ministry, this is very important that we get this, because we, Paul said we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Ministry, the, the, the word ministry means to act. It's an active part of service, of doing service. And the other part of that, the ministry of something, of reconciliation, what is that? That's the type of ministry, that's the type of service that Paul says we are given to do. We've been given to the ministry of reconciliation. And looking again to the scriptures to define this, what does it mean to, to, to seek reconciliation? What does reconciliation mean? It is a, a change in a relationship. It's all relationship-oriented. Reconciliation is changing a broken or damaged relationship between God and man, according to the scriptures, or between man and man. Between God and man, or man and man. So notice there is a a multi-directional line of of reconciliation. There's a vertical line, that's the God and man reconciliation, fixing that broken relationship between God and man. There's a horizontal line, fixing that broken relationship between me and my brother, or this people group and that people group. So ultimately, reconciliation works in two ways. Fixing what happened with God and man, fixing what happened with people and man. Look in verse 19, this is what Paul says. 
reconciliation is not counting our trespasses against us. That's what Jesus did. He did not count our trespasses against us. In reconciling ourselves, us to him, he did not count our trespasses against us. I want you to see something. You remember those two directional aspects of reconciliation? Surely the picture is in your mind already, surely. You have the, the vertical and the horizontal. The vertical, God and man, the horizontal, man and man. I want you to consider the cross. But here's the, here's the thing, though. You see the, the, the horizontal beam of the cross. That cannot float in midair by itself. That, that cannot be suspended there by itself. That doesn't work on its own. It must be supported by the vertical beam. That is the foundation, that is the structure, that is the strength of the horizontal beam. God reconciling himself or man with himself, is the, that is what allows man to be reconciled, reconciled with man. You cannot have the second without the first. We cannot have rec- true peace in the world. We can't have reconciliation between me and you or between any people group. There is no peace in the world without that Fundamental truth. God made man reconciled with himself by not counting their transgressions against them. There's no hope for peace without it. Jesus fixed the broken relationship between himself and man and that is absolutely fundamental to real peace in the world. So, Jesus' ministry of reconciliation was what then? He went to the cross, right? Right? Jesus' ministry of reconciliation was to suffer and to die for us. And here's the thing. We are the enemy. We were the ones at fault. We were the ones who who were the cause of the offense. We are the ones who trespassed. We're the ones who broke the rules. We're the ones who cheated. It's our fault that the relationship between God and man is broken. It's our fault that there is conflict, enmity between us and our Lord. We started the fight. Amen. Amen. And this is, this is radical, dear saints. We started it. We did it. We threw the first punch. But Jesus, in order to bring reconciliation between us, in order to reconcile us, to fix what we broke, he took the punches. And in love, he stretched his arms wide, and that is, that's the posture of an embrace. We open our arms wide so we can wrap them as far around those that we love as possible, hold them as close and as tight as possible. That's what he did for the world. That's what Christ did on the cross. He said, you know what, you can punch me, you can beat me. You can pluck out my beard, you can put thorns on my head, you can spit on me, you can mock me, you can kill me, but I will not punch back. I will not answer back in hatred or harsh words. What did he do? I will open my arms wide and receive you into my loving embrace. All the while you are beating me. And mocking me. This church 
is how Paul defines the ministry of reconciliation, which has been given to us. The very real and tangible work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, taking all of our abuse, taking all of our hate, and returning love and offers of peace. This is the ministry that we have been called to. This is the work, the act of service that we have been called to as Christians. Amen. And I'll be honest with you, when I consider this, when I consider my Lord and what he did, I hang my head in shame. Amen. Amen. How often, O oh Lord, have I failed in this area? And how often has your church failed in this area? People are getting all up in arms right now. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to say it. And y'all are going to love me for it anyway. People are getting all up in arms right now because everyone's wanting an apology. I'm not going to apologize for something I did not do. All right. I get that. I get that. But I want you to consider Daniel. Daniel, when they were in bondage in Israel, not in, they were in bondage in Babylon, Daniel was seeking the Lord about, about the prophecy that had promised him that they would come out of bondage. And, and when he was seeking the Lord about that, he realized that there was sins that the nation had committed. Daniel was a righteous man. He didn't do it, but the people did. And so he cried out to God on behalf of the people, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us and draw our hearts close. There's nothing wrong with saying there is sin in our past. I may not be walking in it right now, but there is sin in our past, and we're sorry. Y'all going to come back Sunday? How often has our church failed? The church failed. In our culture, we have a such a self-preservation mentality that we think this is, it is righteous and it is holy to stand up and then we throw scriptures as weapons and we, we think it is loving and Christ-like to put someone in their place because they have different opinions. We think we are justified in our snide comments and in the things that we post because they're wrong and I'm right. We're so full of self-righteousness these days that we're no better off than the Pharisees that crucified our Lord. Amen. 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 Jesus was, is righteousness. That means he was right. Yes, sir. Amen. He is the embodiment of what it means to be right. The only perfect man that ever lived. And he went to the cross and died. And you know what? It was the self-righteous that killed him. Amen. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The peacemakers will be called sons of God. Notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say, blessed are the peace lovers. I love peace. I can't stand conflict. I don't want conflict in my home. I don't want it in my country. But Jesus didn't say blessed are the peace lovers. He didn't say blessed are the peaceful. 
Those who live quiet lives and they don't seek out uh, conflict. Those who are just separated and peaceful. He didn't say bless those either. What did he say? Blessed are the peacemakers. The ones who do. The ones who make peace. Those people who actively seek to resolve conflict and bring peace rather than creating conflict and producing division. And there's a whole lot of that going around on all sides of the spectrum today. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm calling out all of us. If this is uncomfortable for you to hear, consider that it's not me saying it. I'm just reading you the text. In our culture, in the American culture, I think this is where most of us find ourselves most of the time, just because of the, the, the cultural atmosphere in which we're raised. I love the American dream. I love what this nation stands for. I do. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Personal responsibility, limited government. I love those things. Those are precious to me. But it does create a tendency toward puffing myself up. And I have to be very careful about that. It creates a tendency that I think, I think most of us find ourselves in where we're not really peacemakers at heart. We're peace killers. When we're offended, which is often, we get up in arms and we make, we make comments and we post hateful and mean-spirited things and we share all kinds of things with evil and malice intent. Amen. Because you're not going to infringe on my rights, buddy. I'm saying this in all love. Please hear me. I'm eating it too. I had to eat it first. The ministry of reconciliation requires that we be doers. That we be makers of peace. We must actively work. That's do things. Go out of our way to do the work of reconciliation. Especially with those that we don't agree with. Especially with those, hear me, who have hurt us. That means doing acts of loving kindness with people who may have offended you. Do you know how humbling it is and difficult it is to do the work of being genuinely nice to someone who seems like they're just out to get you? I know it. I've tried to do it. It's exhausting. It's humbling. But you know what else it is? It is right. It is right and good and just and holy. And it will be rewarded. The lasting joy and peace that you will feel because of doing something like that, it's indescribable. I don't know how to put words to it. There's a strength that comes from it. There's a a right standing with God and a confidence in my place in Christ that comes from that kind of sacrificial behavior. Go ahead and punch me. I still love you. I'm reminded of a a witness that a a man tells in the Emmaus community. Um, He was a drunk and a mean drunk and a good drunk. You know, the drunks who are real good at it. He was good at it. 
He was mean when he was drunk. And, and finally, uh, he was to the end of his, his, his rope. He was wanting to commit suicide. I mean, but by the grace of God, someone got him in touch with a, a brother he didn't know. And they put him in this house. And he said, I want you to just go spend the day with this guy. And the guy kept him there and, and, and started talking to him about the Lord and ministering to him. And, and the, the long story short, the point of the story is the, the drunk guy wanted to get up and leave the house. He's a big dude. And the guy that, whose house he was at, little guy, about like my stature, probably skinnier, you know. And, and he's like, I'm, I'm getting up, I'm going to go. And the guy said, no, you're not leaving, little guy. Big guy, drunk guy said, are you going to stop me? He said, I, I'm going to do my best. He said, I'll go right through you. And he said, I'll take every punch you've got if it will let you know that I love you. And that's what Jesus did. I'll take every punch you've got if it will let you know that I love you. If it will reconcile us and bring peace between us. Do good to those that abuse you. Do good to those that talk about you and persecute you. You know what, and we have to be realistic about it. Will, will they always receive your acts of love, your sacrifices of love? Absolutely not. Sometimes they will throw it back in your face. And you know what, that's going to hurt. Amen. Amen. They threw it back in Jesus' face. He died for them and they threw it back in his face and it hurts. But all the while he's still standing there with his arms open to those same people who reject him over and over and says, if you'll just come. And that is our example. That is the ministry. That's the work we've been called to. It's more than what we do, though. I told you there are three things. It's more than what we do. It's more than the ministry of reconciliation. What we speak, there's a message of reconciliation, the language of reconciliation. Don't misunderstand me. You know, actions do speak louder than words, especially when, when our deeds are out of concert with what we say. One gets drowned out by the other, but oh, the power they have when they are, they are in unity. Oh, the power when what we say matches what we do. Consider again our Christ. Amen. Amen. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, and what did he do? Blessed are the, pray for those that curse you, and what did he do? He lived it. He lived it. There is a new message that the new creation gives us. We have a... a uh, a ministry of reconciliation and a message of reconciliation. Verse 19, uh, Paul says that we are entrusted with the message of reconciliation. A new ministry, new message. And the message is one of hope and healing and peace. So ministry, church, is, is the works. That's the actions. That's the works side of faith. And, and the message is the things that we, we say. It's the language of reconciliation. And that has been... Did you, you see what he says? The language, the message of reconciliation has been entrusted to us. God said, I, I'm done speaking it. I've, I have, I've given you my message in my holy word and in the person of my son, Jesus Christ. Now I'm entrusting the message to you. You are the, you are the microphone that God uses to declare his message to the world. Be reconciled to me. That's why we preach. That's why we talk to others with love. That's why we don't respond in kind. That's why we respond with, with love. That's why we make Christ a part of our conversation. Because this is a message of reconciliation, a language of peace. 
But I don't want to spend too much time on this one because I, I talked about bridling the tongue, a whole message on it last week. But I do want to point out that it isn't just a, a caution against saying things that are hateful. When most of us think about bridling the tongue, we think, oh, mm, I shouldn't say that or I better keep my mouth shut because that will keep me out of trouble or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop myself before I get into trouble. It's, it's more than a negative proscription. It is a positive prescription. We are, when we speak, we are to speak things of love and peace and reconciliation. Things that produce peace. The things that we say ought to be peace-producing, peace-making. In order to do that, though, I'm going to tell you there's a, there's a thing that seems counterintuitive, a process that seems counterintuitive to speaking peace is that first you must learn to listen with compassion. Not defensively, but compassionately. Now think about the things, just, just look inside, think about it. When we listen, especially when we're listening to someone with whom we disagree, how often are we listening to understand and how often are we listening defensively or worse yet, offensively? We're listening in order to, to find a trap. That's, that's what the Pharisees did to Jesus. The Bible says that they listened so that they might ensnare him find something wrong with it we're listening to formulate arguments not to try to understand we're not even in our when we pretend to try to speak the language of reconciliation we're not we're not listening with reconciliation in our heart it's not genuine compassionate listening and if you're going to speak the language of peace and love you've got to start there with being able to listen compassionately and he really hear what your brother is saying, especially those who have harmed you. Boy, that's not easy, is it? There's a reason that I get sick at my stomach many Sunday mornings coming up here. Like, Lord, your word is hard. But your yoke is easy and your burden is light. But thy word is hard. Don't misunderstand me, okay? I am not saying that we shouldn't call out wrongs. Quite the contrary. We are given examples to do so in Scripture. We are told that we should do so. We should call out sin when we see it. But always with the goal of reconciliation and not condemnation. What does Paul say about condemnation? There is therefore now none of that. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. We who are in Christ are made a new creation. Look at the example of the adulterous woman that they brought before Jesus. You remember the story? This is the one where he said, let those without sin cast the first stone. So they brought uh, him to, her to Jesus, and then he said that, let those without sin cast the first stone. They all left, and what did, what did Jesus say to her? Jesus was the only one that was in the right. He was the only one that had the right to cast a stone. He was the only one in the group that had a standing, a foundation to stand upon to be able to pass that judgment, the perfect man. Amen. But he said to her, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. He said, he, he, he said look at this, look. What you did was wrong. What you're doing is wrong. And we know that's what he said because he told her, go and sin no more. This is bad behavior. It's wrong behavior. But he said, look, all of your accusers are gone, and I'm still here. Amen. I'm not embarrassed to be seen with you. I love you. I defended you. 
I've opened my arms to you. Go and what you're doing is wrong. Go and sin no more. There is a way, church, to call out sin so that it moves people toward reconciliation. There is a way to speak peace into a situation that allows people to see their value in God's eyes and their worthlessness in their own sin. And just as much as there is a way to do that between God and man, there is a way for you to speak peace into the situations that you have with the, re- with the broken relationships that you have that allows those people to see their value in your eyes and the worthlessness of themselves in their offense toward you. At the same time, a language of love that creates peace that works towards reconciliation, not to snip and to bite and to chop and to cut. We must speak the language of reconciliation. Christ died for you, just like he died for me, and that makes us the same. In fact, when you accept that Christ died for you and you surrender all to him, that makes us brothers and sisters It doesn't matter what your nationality or your political party or your uh, your race or what. It doesn't matter. In fact, look at Revelation. We talked about every tongue and tribe and nation. And they'll all be there. And that is beautiful and glorious. And that's how God created it. Jesus said to bless those that curse you. But yet we, uh, I think we seem to think oftentimes it is more righteous to curse them bigger. (laughs) And then we still call ourselves sons of God. Blessed are who? The peacemakers. And they shall be called the sons of God. And that leads me directly to my third point. And I'll close with this one. This new creation gives us a new ministry, a new message. And it gives us a new purpose. Verse 20 He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassador is an official, a messenger who officially represents a higher authority. We are official representatives of Jesus Christ in the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Church, I don't know about you, but I find that to be huge. That is is heavy. That is weighty. There's a weight in that glory, and it ought to make us tremble. We are representing the Lord of all creation, the righteous judge of all the earth. Lord, help us to represent you well. Forbid that we should bring dishonor to your name. Do you see it, church? This is no low calling. This is not some entry-level position. By, by carrying your Bible and coming to church and through the sacraments, baptism and Holy Communion and the, the professions of your mouth and saying, yes, I'm a Christian and, and yes, I believe, you are saying to the world, I represent Christ and I am here on official business. Amen. Amen. Official. Yes. Pray, O oh saints of God, that we represent Him well. Amen. Jesus said that they will know us by our love. And so I ask you, look, the the work of pruning the heart is difficult. 
That's why he uses the language of cutting and pruning. Because it's, it's not easy. It can be painful. So look in your heart and see, Lord, what pruning needs to happen here today? What pruning do you need to do here today? It's not going to be easy, but I'm willing to submit myself to it. Do they know you by your love? Do they know you through acts of loving kindness and reconciliation? Do they know you by your message of peace? Look what Paul says next. Ambassadors for Christ and God is making his appeal through us. We are the instruments of God's appeal to the world. Be reconciled unto me. We're we're his megaphone shouting that to the world. We are. To announce that he stands with his arms open ready to receive anyone and everyone who will put their faith and their trust in him. So church, be instruments of reconciliation. What does that look like? I would say to you that you don't have to look any further than the cross. Because in it you will find the ministry and the message of reconciliation. In it you will see the work of peace and the language of love. This new creation, that's me and you. We've been given a ministry, a new message, and a new purpose. And that is grace that disrupts church. That is radically different lives. Christ has said unto you, be reconciled unto me. That was his message to the church. That was his message to his people. Who will you say that to today? Let's make it practical. Let's get this out of the lofty air and out of the the realm of, of theory and let's make it practical. Who do you need to say that to today? Be reconciled. What broken relationships do you need to mend? Even if it's not your fault, you're the innocent party. You're the one who was harmed. Or you're the one who was offended. But you know what? As ambassadors for Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we are treated like lambs for the slaughter. We are killed all the day long. And yet, because of our Lord, we stretch our arms wide to those that hate us and tell them, I welcome you into my embrace. Though you curse me, though you bruise me, Though you wound me, I love you and I offer you peace. I will tell you right now, there is no greater altar for the sin of your pride than the altar of reconciliation. I guess what I'm saying, church, is that there's no such thing as passive Christianity. Especially when it comes to the ministry and the message of peace, of being reconciled one with another. Be more than peace lovers, church. Be peacemakers, passionately pursuing reconciliation with others. It's not enough to ignore it. It's not enough to sweep things under the rug. It's not enough to just agree to disagree or to agree to be silent and we'll just be cordial in the hallway. We don't have to speak to one another. That's not enough. We must pursue reconciliation with others just as he pursued it with us. Such a big deal, this reconciliation, that Jesus staked his own praise on it. 
He said, if you come to the altar with your sacrifice and you have aught with your brother, there's a, there's a broken relationship that you need to fix. I don't even want you to praise me. You leave your offering and go make it right. Then you can come back. That's how big of a deal reconciliation is to God, is to our Christ. That's how fundamental it is to the Christian life. Let's be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen. Amen. Let me pray with you. Father God, we thank you once again for your word. I pray that, I pray that your spirit has allowed this seed to be sown in love. And that it has been received and loved. God, you know my heart. I just, let us be united, oh God. Let us represent you well. Give us peace as we go and let us be messengers of peace. And keep us safe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. amen.